This is the Homebrew Game Club. Now that's a little bit too much. Oh, oh, great. Great. Right. oh fuck, fuck. Oh my god. Oh. I'm like a little bit too amped. I gotta oh, let me dial it down. Hold on. <clears throat> this is the Homebrew Game Club, a podcast about modern brand new aftermarket video games for retro consoles. On this podcast, we pick one game a month-ish, every other month, two months, <laughs> to play and talk about. Today's game is The Cursed Knight for Sega Genesis and or Mega Drive. My name is Nick, also known as Divertov, and joining me today are... Bart, also known as Clever Username Needed on Instagram. And Connor Nash, also known as Connor Nash, 1N on Twitter and Mastodon. There's two N's. There's an You're N right. in Connor and an N in Nash. You've got Con- me there. Ooh. You've got me there. Dang. Sorry, we're all a little amped today. We're worked up. Before, however, 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 before we get started, I'd like to remind everyone that on this podcast, we believe in honest opinions, but we also understand that many of these games are not made by professionals. They are labors of love. Also, as a note to our listeners, we are not game developers ourselves. We are just fans. So please keep that in mind as we offer up any criticisms of these games. Guys, before we get started, I have a slight uh, correction, maybe amendment to our last uh, numbered episode, What Remains. If you recall, in that one, we we talked about a lot of the game has to do with uh, PR flax trying to improve the image of, of various awful corporate things that, that uh, are from the 80s, like smoking cigarettes and acid rain. And we said, you know, smoking cigarettes, okay, that actually happened. You know, people thought cigarettes might be good for you. But acid rain, like who honestly thought acid rain was good for the environment? Like nobody would actually believe that. Well, guess what? Our fan, Treed, on Discord got curious after listening to the episode and did a little digging, and he found, yes, there was actual uh, people arguing in the 1980s that, uh, let me see, I'm looking at it right here. Uh, Let me see if I can. Is this Katzenstein? Yeah, the Katzenstein guy, right. He's citing a paper that he found here. Yeah, that acid rain is not severe enough to warrant prompt remedial action. And, you know, uh, what else does scientists write? wrote papers about how environmental tobacco and lung cancer risk is uh, <laughs> is not as high as was believed. So, I mean, this is like, this is some industry-funded fu- uh, scientist, you know, who's basically like the villain from the game, okay? Like, this guy was well, actually the, out I think there. the bad guy in the game was actually called Kutzenstein or Katzenstein or something. So Katzenstein, this, yes. It must like have that. been pretty much, like, based on this one chap, so yes. Yes, right. Yeah, I think it I think it might have been like based on this guy, right? And then he also found out uh Murkowski It's the father of the senator from Alaska. The father of Lisa, Lisa Murkowski, the senator from Alaska, making an argument that uh you know, some acid rain in precipitation is actually good. It's actually good for the uh for the ecosystem, you know? So, I, just ridiculous stuff and you know what? It turns out we were wrong. We were wrong. And we are uh, willing to admit when we are wrong. Sometimes, sometimes I, I I will admit that you know this is clearly a cutting from the Wall Street Journal, not a marginalized local paper. Like this is something that has wide distribution. I mean, it is like one of the one of the papers of record in the United States. It's exactly, one of the most exactly. major papers. Yeah, so it's not like it's not obscure media. But no. yeah. 
Yeah, as I said on Discord, I, you can never underestimate people's willingness to back idiotic arguments in the name of naked self-interest. That's really uh, that's really what remains in a nutshell, probably. The, the only thing I'll add about it is just if, if you guys are on the Discord and if you're listening, you click through to the link. It's a really interesting clipping from the Wall Street Journal because yeah. it shows, basically it's a lobbying piece and it's saying you should call your representative and it gives you lists of these representatives uh, to call that are for anti-acid rain legislation, right? So this is like telling you, call your representative. This is like overreach. Federal government's gone haywire, blah, blah, blah. And you got to call these these people who are just like crazy over-regulating, like the Republican congressman from Arkansas and Wyoming. Like these people are just obviously crazy into over-regulation. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, like, like looking at this list of of senator, I'm like, or Congress people, I'm like, wow, this is uh, this is not like the kind of people who usually go for crazy overreach. But you go, Katzenstein. You, you, I mean, there, you know, yeah, it's like there is acid in the rain. Okay, it's acid rain. That's not. It's maybe if they had somehow rebranded it, you know, like. Uh, <laughs> Strawberry flavored Coca Cola rain or something. I don't know, but purple rain, purple rain, purple rain. Yeah. Okay, guys, we are here today to talk about a game, and that game is the Cursed Knight for Sega Genesis and or Mega Drive. A little history about this game: it had a successful Kickstarter on uh, wrapped up on May fifteenth, twenty twenty two. Not very long ago, about a year ago. It raised almost 130,000 euros. I got to tell you, these Mega Drive games get a lot more money than any other console I have seen so far. I Just a, just a huge uh, amount of bank that these things pull in. It's not unusual to see them. I don't think, I don't think it's unusual to see them hit 100,000. Wow. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I know they, they almost always get more than like an NES or a Game Boy or something like that. Developed by GGS Studio and published by Broke Studio, both of those out of France, initially grew out of a collaboration between Fazi Zadi and Arond Demarais with music by Christian Godin. You can get the game digitally on Steam or a physical copy for Mega Drive and Genesis at the Broke Studio website. And both of those come with a ROM that you can play in an emulator, which is a really cool practice and i appreciate that and i think everybody who makes homebrew should do it i understand if you don't want to do it but you know what it makes it our job a hell of a lot easier all right guys can you describe this game to me what kind of game is this where do you start where do you start i mean first of all it's it's quite a lot of things all at the same time so this is a little bit of a challenge to kind of say in one run-on sentence but it's like <laughs> Run, shoot, platform, shmup, adventure. Well, don't forget the racing part. Racing, outrun. Yes. Underwater. Yeah. <laughs> swimming. <laughs> I will describe it as a sadistic torture chamber designed to raise my blood pressure and have me break my controllers. Which okay, I okay. We will. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's well, talk you, about. <laughs> you asked to see. You asked what to describe the game. That's my description of the game. It's a. Woo! So it it is a platformer, shoot 'em up with some racing stages. Yeah. 
<laughs> describe the game. Each level has uh, both platforming and shoot 'em up segments. There are permanent upgrades that you can grab through the game. You know, I, I this is what I would describe this game as is just balls to the wall, fucking crazy. Like that's yes. like my immediate impression of this game is this game is fucking bananas. It is nuts, and I I love that about it. It is all kinds of genres mixed together. It is just oozing with attitude. Yes. And I want to talk about that. I think that that is a double-edged sword, but it definitely nails that kind of like Genesis Mega Drive 90s attitude. It's just soaking in that stuff. Yes. It has very detailed graphics, some of which are absolutely grotesque, like to the extent that I actually like cringe when I I look at the video of it. Like it's like some of it is just so gross and i don't mean that yeah. as an insult like no, it it's very, like it's very like if hr geiger made a mega drive game yes right and it's very biological you know yeah. it has that like biological kind of grossness grossness i think it it shares a lot of a lot of things with xeno crisis it does but at the same time it's like xeno crisis like from my perspective like i was able to give a pretty concise explanation of what that game is Yes. This is such a greatest hits of all of the games you really enjoyed playing on the Mega Drive kind of thing. Like or even just in the 16-bit era because it's so much of like bringing together so many different styles of games and trying to like make it all kind of come together like this character the cursed knight. I mean, he's got a resume longer than your arm of just like all of the things that this guy can do. Like he has got such talent. He can ride a bike and shoot at the same time. He's got armor upgrades. He's got the flight. He's got gravity. He's got triple jumping capacity. Like he's got all these things that like, you know, somebody really enjoyed from one game. They're like, ah, let's, let's bring that in. And then the graphics just kind of extend that even further. It's just like, it feels like, really a, a kind of almost like a mashup of lots of different really great themes from the 8 to 16 bit era that people try to put into a really you know balls to the wall crazy game that's great i think that's a great way to describe it there are permanent upgrades through the game that you can grab but you can you can miss them if you if you don't pick them up mm-hmm. you will not be able to get them again and that will make the game even harder than it already is. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like a, the laser weapon, heart containers, and and gems that will, if you get enough of them, they will permanently upgrade your armor. Uh, story, do we want to, how much of the story do we want to talk about without spoiling? I don't think we need to talk about like the ending or anything like that. But, no, um, I think, well, I mean, I... I the story I, is nuts. Okay, I'll talk the about the story. I'll talk sense. about the ending a little bit, just because it's it's possibly my lesser favorite part of the game. Just to say that, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of the ending. Do you want to talk about the ending specifically? Because we can do that after the no, ending. No, but just just to say that, like, I, if, okay. if you're playing this because you're expecting a huge reveal at the end, that's going to like really like tie all the threads together. I just don't think it's that kind of game, right? It's no. too crazy. Don't don't it, play a yes. game like this uh, expecting that like all of these different threads of crazy storylines somehow come together in this one cohesive story. Like that's that's not what you're looking for with a game like yeah, this. Yeah, if you like a well-developed narrative yeah. with yeah. strong characters and really well like writing that just just absolutely brings all these different threads together and and um in a kind of symphony of of narrative <laughs> this is like the opposite of that not a bad way but no. yeah it's like like you're saying if you're looking for a narrative here that's that's not a narrative heavy game 
it's it's unless the narrative you're looking for is Bart breaks his controllers <laughs> over and over again. In that case, well, it's I a did a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> so full, I, I gotta I gotta confess here for the for the audience. I actually haven't seen the live stream of you playing. Can you give me a quick synopsis of what that was like? Okay, so yeah, we did do a live stream playthrough of this game. It is available on our YouTube channel. You can watch. I do play through the entire game. It the whole live stream. It t- it's almost three hours long, so it is uh, it's quite long. We had all kinds of technical issues, and I uh, it, <laughs> we're actually half an hour late to start the live stream because I had so many um, issues with. I was trying to use a PC, and I could not get I could not get the game in steam to recognize my controller and i used several different controllers and it it would not work in steam so then i had to get an emulator and i've never used a a genesis emulator on a pc and so i had to set that up and you know i gotta tell you like pc people you guys are way too into like configuring things okay like (laughs) i just want I'm, I, I realize I'm going to, I'm, I'm a Mac guy at heart. So I'm just going to say, you know, I just want something that it's okay to get 90% of the way there. Okay. It's like, I, it's like, well, you know, I'm, if I could just tweak these settings that, that take four hours to set up, I, I might be able to better replicate this experience by like just 5% better. That's such a PC brain way of thinking. Okay. Like I'm a Mac guy. I just want to plug in my controller and play the game. Okay. I, I don't want to configure settings for four hours. But I was trying to do it on PC because my Mac's having issues, and if we we're going to do a live stream, I didn't want it to like crash, you know. But yeah, so I I borrowed this really nice PC, gaming PC, and uh, yeah, it took forever to set up, four or five hours, and uh, all kinds of issues with it. Controllers did not work, so I was already like, when we got started, I was like pissed, right? It's <laughs> like, and I didn't get to practice the game at all, so I. About half the the live stream, I'm just like bitching about how bad I'm playing, and I'm bitching about my controllers, and I'm bitching about you know whatever. So yeah, that's it's a great advertisement. Go watch the live stream. Yeah, I did play through it. I beat it. Uh, maybe I can. I tell you what, I'll, I'll come back to this later. I'll patch in a description of the live stream that actually sounds like something people want to watch. Um, <laughs> so, Connor, do you? Um, how did everybody play this game? So I I beat the game three times. I beat the game three times. I beat it um, the first two times that I played it. I was playing it on my uh, EverDrive on my Genesis on a CRT. And I got to tell you, that's a great way to play the game. All that grotesque graphics, unlike that, you know, that soft focus of a CRT. I mean, they look, Mm -hmm. everything looks very textured and it looks nasty. It's like I was cringing away from the screen. And then the last, for the live stream, I played it. I tried to play it on Steam, but I couldn't configure my controller. So I ended up playing it through the emulator on PC. So how did you guys play the game? I I played it on an emulator on my Mac. How much of the game did you play, or did you just mostly watch me play it? Uh, I played through the first and maybe the second level a few weeks before I watched you play it. Okay. And then I jumped on again to to try to play it again since the live stream, and um, my controller broke. So I just kind of came to a dead end and i don't and i'm you know when i was joking about breaking a controller earlier like throwing it against the wall it was like no you're just like it's such an intense platformer shmup that like i'm pushing the buttons really hard because i'm really concentrating and mm-hmm. i think i blew out my d-pad so yeah <laughs> yeah it's that that's actually probably one of the most honest 
points you can recommend about the game. Like, this is a game that will cause damage to your D-pad. Yeah, yeah. I think the controls, it is worth mentioning. I played it on Emulator 2. I had a really hard time getting the controls to work because there are three different control schemes and only one of them actually worked for me on mm. the Emulator. And that was the one that is not recommended. It actually says in the manual, oh, the three not rec- yeah, the three button. We do not recommend you use this configuration. That was, number one, it worked for a start, but also I really preferred it. That was actually the control screen I actually enjoyed. That's the one I used as well. There you go, yeah. So that's that's just kind of a point just to make about it. But it is heavy on the D-pad if you're using that configuration Very true. because you're using effectively the up or down button as a gravity change button. Yeah. And that means that you have to, well, you're basically using that a lot. And it, it, you're basically like Street Fighter 2, kind of like just sw- you know, swooping your thumb over the D-pad in lots of different directions. Oh, man, that would be such a pain in the ass. Um, it, it sounds like a pain in the ass, but it actually it felt like more of a pain in the ass to it, be touching the buttons to do yeah, that. Yeah, it, it felt more natural to flip the gravity with the D-pad. Yeah. It's just, are you doing that? Really? Yeah, I got some serious Nintendo thumb on my left thumb. and uh, But it meant that like, this, this so. part's later in the game where you're changing the gravity like very oh, yeah, frequently. So fast. And so for that, like it feels very natural. Like that feels like a really, really? Good control scheme for that. Like those parts of the game were not as much of a challenge to me as say the shmup parts where you're like dodging bullet hell. Really? Um, That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, okay. So I, yeah, I played it with the, so what we're talking about, you know, the Genesis has, y- you can use the three button standard controller with the three face buttons, you can use the later one that they released with the six face buttons, and it's got the mode button up at the top. And the game actually incorporates the mode button where you can use that for the gravity flipping mechanic. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I played it on console, and I found that extremely intuitive, very useful, I, just hitting that mode button to flip the gravity. And then you can also use it on on a more, like a modern Genesis controller where you would have shoulder buttons. Right. I like having it on a different button uh, and not on the D-pad. That just worked a little bit better for me. But I, I did not really try it with the, the three-button layout. So, uh, to be fair, that sounds like more like Metal Storm on the NES or something. Mm. So, yeah, I played it on, on emulator. And uh, with that setup, I, I thought it was pretty useful. Like, it worked pretty well for me. I finished the game once. I did use save states, for the record. But uh, I would say it's a pretty challenging game, so I'm not going to dock myself too much for having done that. Yeah, I mean, do you want to get into the, the things that you enjoyed about it? What do you, what did you enjoy? Yeah, well, and I just want to say, like, I, I will talk about this later, but I'm not going to dock you for using safe states on this one. Like, I, I actually endorse it. <laughs> but right. things that I enjoyed. So I wouldn't call myself, like, a shoot 'em up expert or anything. Like, there are people who play shoot-em-ups, and that's the only type of game that they play. And they will put 100 hours, 200, 300, 500 into a single shoot-em-up and just get insanely good at it and be able to complete it with one credit. I wouldn't call myself on that level, but I'm also not, like, a total noob. You know, I'm not a a novice. Uh, I would say I'm sort of like an intermediate shmup player. I found the, the shmup sections and the platforming sections, these are my two genres. You know, these are my two favorite genres right now. And I would say they were both very well done. To see a game that does more than one genre and does does all of them well, that is very unusual. That is the strongest recommendation I can give the game is just the fact that it, it tried to do more than one genre 
and it nailed all the genres that it went for, that's really impressive. Yeah, I think the shoot 'em up stages are very good. The platforming stages are very good. That's probably what I liked the most about the game. What did you guys think about that kind of stuff? First of all, I think it's very difficult to talk about this game without talking about the games you think it's influenced by. That's true. Fair. Yeah. It's just so clearly influenced by so many games. The first game I think of, so the thing is, I'd never really had a Mega Drive when I was growing up or I think was had exposure to much of it. I was much more exposed to Super Nintendo. So if I was looking at a Mega Drive game, and maybe people who know the Mega Drive better than me will tell me I'm wrong, I would say something like Rocket Knight Adventures or something, where okay. you're kind of like an yeah. aardvark and you're kind of like jumping around for platforms. And you got, you know, you've got armor and you've got guns and all the rest. Right. But for me, it's like Mega Man X. Mega Man X on SNES is okay. like yeah. what I feel when you're doing this. Like you've got a weapon, fires pretty strong. You've got a dash maneuver. You, you know, have this kind of like super powerful character who's like fighting everybody. It feels kind of like that. But then you go into like these different modes where you're like it's a shmup and all of a sudden it's like your Mega Man Gradius. And then sometimes you get on a bike and it's like Mega Man Outrun. And then it's like side-scrolling bike where you're shooting in all directions and it's Mega Man Battletoads. And then you get into like <laughs> the combination of the gravity and it's Mega Man VVVV. Okay, yeah. The problem I have with it, I'll get to later, is that like it's very unlikely you're going to enjoy every single one of those genres. Okay, yeah. You, you will maybe find one of those genres like, oh my God, that was awesome. I really enjoyed doing that it's really unlikely every single one of those genres is going to hit for you as like your favorite. Yeah. That's a real risk that a game runs when it tries to do more than one genre, because you're really trying to appeal to people who like all of those types of games and shoot 'em ups are like a weird kind of like niche genre where a lot of people who are very into shoot 'em ups, you know, maybe they're not super into other types of games and vice versa. Like, like I, I, know a lot of people who really love platformers but who are not huge fans of shoot 'em ups you know that first level is actually a really good level i will say it it, it brings you in pretty nicely it has a couple of like jump scare slash mm. awful you know enemy placement but like it, it's 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 nothing you can't avoid if you're just like ready for what's going to happen i don't think that's bad by itself but if you're doing that and then immediately throwing somebody into like a completely different type of game for the next level it's not just like oh i have to learn this again it's like what i'm playing a totally different game now and i have to get good at this kind of game like i think that's a little rough to expect that your player is going to roll with the punches on any game mode they give you like are you going to give me a sudoku level like you know what are you going to give me on this yeah (laughs) it's like you know where how far can you take this level five do the cursed knights taxes (laughs) right (laughs) i don't know i was was joking on the live stream it's like we're gonna get a visual novel here like what happens yeah i will say though as far as looking at and stepping back from it as as a player and just looking at the game like if you watch the live stream pay attention to the level design cuz some of the shit in this game is really cool like this the whole thing where you have to like jump on the platform to get it moving and then you have to 
go up and like you're platforming uh, and there's it's just moving below you and you have to like let it go so that it's something you use three minutes ahead you know it's just like <laughs> when you get to that point and you didn't jump on that little platform and getting it moving you're like oh fuck all right let's go back and you know do it again like those little bits of level design are really really cool or like w- even on the first level when you're when you're flying through and like, you know, there's like a upper level and then a lower level down by the water and you go down in that lower level and you can get like the upgrade to the spread gun. Um, if you miss it, you miss it, you know, and it's, it's not on the screen. Like, how are you supposed to know if you go, you know, it's, it, it, I guess it really is all about kind of running it multiple times and, and getting better. And, right. but the, the level design is really, really cool. And I can, I can really, appreciate it 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 is a very retro style game Mm -hmm. so it it expects you to to learn segments of it and get good at those segments and just keep plowing your way through the game and that is and we'll talk about that we we keep alluding to there are several things where I, i i feel like the game has some shortcomings regarding the difficulty and other things but I, I think that is that is a uh, something to note. It is, yeah. it is a very retro styled game. It leans very hard into that feeling. To kind of add into that, like for me, the graphics are so taken to like the nth degree of like whatever you have in your head as like Mega Drive, like high end Mega Drive graphics. It is like taking that super far. Yes, like absolutely. The subtitle of yeah. this game, like the Cursed Knight, should be like parallax to the max like that's what you want to see <laughs> yes yes it is I, I remember commenting about that during the live stream of just shit that i've never seen parallax before like the I buildings seven mm. layers of parallax yeah. like oh yeah right fucking out there like the one that really just i was like no this is too much guys was when there's this uh, i forget which i think it's the first or maybe the second level where there's like um skyscrapers in the background mm-hmm. and they're they're trying to do parallax on the skyscrapers so they're trying to show you like when it's entering from the like right side of the screen you're seeing like the 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 facing side like the stage left or stage right part of the of the of the building and then as the building moves across you see it front on and then you start to see it from the other side but it's <laughs> it's so extreme it's almost like a parody of parallax i've never itself. seen that before i agree that was <laughs> i love that right no, it's awesome but it's like yeah. that is like it's, it's like a trick they used in the 16-bit era to make you feel like things were deeper in the screen but mm-hmm. this is like way heavy parallax this is just like so much that like it, it's just it's it, i think i've said this before on other episodes where like some of these games they're able to do things now that 30 years ago people didn't even know how to do but these techniques have been perfected and it's just like if this came out in 1992 i'm just telling you people would have been fucking crazy about the graphics people would have been like can you yeah. believe the fucking this would have been an arcade machine that would have eaten right. everybody's oh, yeah it, right yeah it does have some arcade elements to it well totally. what got me i was watching the live stream again this morning uh just to kind of re- refresh my memory of the game and <laughs> i kept laughing out loud because there were so many sections where i was doing platforming and i was flipping doing this gravity flipping all over the screen and I, you know i would sections that i had i had kind of nailed and i've gotten down really well and i could just hear bart going like wow wow yeah. holy shit you know yeah. and i'm i'm just like i to 
To fall off the edge of a moving platform and hit the gravity flip key and jump onto the other edge of it. You know, I mean, like stuff like that. And he would just go like, wow. It felt like I was back in like 1992 and I was like impressing one of my friends. Right. You know, right. Like, and it really does. I think uh, you were talking about this is such a it's like such a Mega Drive game. Yeah. I really feel like the everybody who made this game was just such a fan of this console. Totally. That they wanted to make like the ultimate game for the console. And yeah. so they leaned into it really hard. And so yeah, it all is the tropes, everything. all the tropes are there. Yes. And it's just, you know, and just the fact that it's like so gross and edgy, it's just so edgy. It's in your mm-hmm. face, right? Nintendo doesn't do this shit. Right. right? <laughs> no, it totally is. It's absolutely that. Like the the the, the grossness of the graphics, the storyline itself, even like because I mean, Mega Man X would never have like and this. I don't think this gives anything away in the story. Like just before the second level, the princess dies, for example, right? So like Nintendo would never have like a princess dying in the fucking first act. You know, like that wouldn't be a part of the game. So yeah, bloody like, in a bloody way. There's yeah. blood. Like, there yeah, she, like, he, one of her like, eyes she's thrown out. down on the concrete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She explodes when she hits the concrete. Right. Yeah. It's Thank you, disgusting. Mario. But our princess is in another coffin. <laughs> hey! <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that. I mean, when I, when I played the original demo of this game, it got a lot of pushback because it had profanity in it. And it was, it was like, fuck, shit. I mean, like, this was, like, in... <laughs> In the demo, and I was reading Video Game Sage, the comments, and people were like, I just think this this is too much. Hmm. It's just too far. You know, I don't think it's appropriate and whatever. Was it called the Cursing Night back then? <laughs> hey yeah. Right. Oh, man. You're but I was, I, was, I was jumping in there. I was like, no, I like it. Keep it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so what they did, this compromise that I think is awesome, is they left it in the game, but you have to enter the password, and, and it will you'll play like the uncensored version. Okay. Cool. So they'll put the, the, the swearing back into the game if you enter this password. But, but then you don't get the good ending because you used the password. <laughs> well, okay. I want to get to that. I want to get to that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, yes. Last thing I want to mention <laughs> about things that I really enjoy. We're still about talking about good stuff. Is <laughs> All right. The music. I want to really mention the music because the music is good. The, the comparisons really to Xeno Crisis are there, right? <laughs> and Xeno Crisis has an awesome soundtrack. Don't get me wrong. But it's very much one note. Like it's a it's a Xeno Crisis soundtrack, which means you're always like run and gunning all the way through. There are some moments in this game when you have a little bit more like exploration, like thoughtfulness. Basically at mm-hmm. the, the end of that yeah. when the princess dies, you're kind of exploring and gaining certain power-ups, whatever. That's like probably my favorite music because I think Again, like in terms of what people know they can do with the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive sound card now, right. the like distorted electric guitar sound, everyone knows how to do that. Like, yes, congratulations, we can get that sound out. But it's actually much more difficult, I think, to get a very nice, like pleasant, soft sound out of it. And I think they do that really, really well too. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, Christian Gaudin yep. is like the main credited music on that. So... I want to just give a shout out there. I think that's really, really dynamic kind of soundtrack. Like it goes from all the way, like super crazy to like super somber kind of stuff. So I want to just like give a shout out to that. Yes. I totally agree with that. You know, one thing I, uh, other thing I like about the game, just little details, 
you know, like you can tell a lot of care went into it. Yes. When you're flying through that first stage and like, you know, you've got Broke Studio on the billboards and, oh and things like God, that. Oh my God, I completely forgot about that. I went to the website. <laughs> yeah. Delayedagain.se. The game that they're going to release in 2023. Oh, right. Yeah, there's an advertisement for another game on the billboards. There's yes. literally an ad in the game for another game, which I think is I'm hilarious. trying to remember. There's there's other games that I played. I, I think uh, Valis 3 does that, maybe. I don't know. It has like the name of the company. I'm, I'm trying to remember other games. I know I've played other games. Oh, and they also have the Mises Institute. <laughs> what? Yeah. Are you serious? Um, yeah, totally. The, um, the motto of the Mises Institute. What? Yeah, that's like after that, um, tu ne se de malice, uh, do not give in to evil. Uh, that's the the like the, the, the second billboard after the game advertisement. Right, um, right like right, the right, black right. and white one with the dude's face. Wow, on it. that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, oh, is that who that was? That's funny. Yeah. So it turns out the makers of the game are libertarians. Sorry, I did not. It, that okay? I did not know who that was. That's yeah. very funny. So, yeah. yeah, that was just my Google search. Maybe the creators of the game can correct me that it came from an earlier source. I mean, it's obviously in Latin. So, like, maybe some Roman dude said it. But, yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a lot to like in the game. Uh, and it's definitely a lot to appreciate in terms of the effort that went into it. So, I just want to kind of, like, give a shout out to that. Ads in the games have worked on me before. I, I joined right. the Nintendo Fun Club today, Mac. Earned the uh, when I had Punch Out back in the day. Yeah, did Since, you? You joined yeah, the Nintendo Fun Club like did. that day? That yeah, very day. That very day. And I actually had two uh, two issues. And then they were like, Nintendo Fun Club's going away. It's going to be called Nintendo Power. And I was like, what a ripoff. And then <laughs> Nintendo Power was way better. But yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing before Nintendo Power. I didn't know Nintendo Fun Club. Oh, existed. yeah. I was yeah. I was pretty much the same way. I think I got two issues of the Fun Club. It was yep. just a newsletter. It was like, it was really small. And then they were like, oh, wow, people really want this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I got this Nintendo Power thing. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Look at this Mario 2 game. This looks fucking great. All right, let's oh. move on. What what doesn't work? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, guys, we have talked about several things that we like about the game. Let's talk about some things that maybe don't work for us. Uh, what what does not tickle your fancy about this game? All right, let me let me put this as delicately as I possibly can. This is not going to be delicate. Art's been Art's been waiting. No. For Okay, so here's the, here's the thing. No, 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 no. Here's the, here's the thing. Um, okay. I I made a music video uh, back in 2007 called Mudbog. Okay, and it was for a country music uh, artist, and that was the name oh, of the song. I remember Mudbog. this. Yes. Right. Was this with the the pickup trucks and shit? The pickup trucks going through the mud, and it was like this yeah. fun country song, party, whatever. Now uh, that that on my YouTube channel, it has over a quarter of a million views. And if you start reading the comments, people in there are like, Oh, Chevy trucks are the best. Fuck the Fords. And then there's other people like, Oh, Fords are the greatest. Fuck Chevys. You know? And then you got the other guys like, you both are stupid. It's Dodge or nothing. And it's so, um, (laughs) it's so stupid and arbitrary. And my father's the same way. If it's not a Chevrolet, he's not going to buy it. He made fun of my brother when my brother bought a Ford. I think I'm kind of the same way when it comes to Mega Drive and Genesis games. I just was never, <laughs> I was never into Sega. I've said this from the beginning on this podcast. I still do not like any Mega Drive, Sega Genesis games. And maybe 
that tainted my entire perspective on this game from the get go. And I kind of said a little something to Connor about it before we started recording. It's just like, there's this part, like I loved games from like Nintendo or not Nintendo, Atari 2600 up through the Nintendo and super Nintendo. And then you get to like an era right after the super Nintendo around the time of like the Sega CD and the Neo Geo, where it was like 2d games with just, they tried to go over the top with the graphics and the parallax and a lot of stuff that like the top end mega drive stuff would, I just hate, hated those kind of games. <laughs> I really did. I and I, could not stop. I didn't, I, I didn't get back into gaming until like PlayStation two era. Uh, so yeah. stuff in between like super Nintendo and PlayStation two is, is just not on my radar. I don't care for it and I don't care to try to care for it either. So that's probably what has, what is tainting my view on this. Cause this game is kind of pushing okay. on the edge of that for you. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. This so, is like maybe as far as you will go into that. Like the game I think of that maybe most encapsulates what you're talking about is this PlayStation game called Pandemonium, okay. which is a 2.5 D platformer, which is where they didn't really know how to do 3d yet. Okay. So it was like 2D to the max. And like they didn't, they, 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 it, it, it was a really like well marketed game at the time. And people like got really into it, but nobody's playing it now. Like nobody's like, oh, I can't wait to play Pandemonium again. Like that's, that's not a game that's on people's like top 10 lists because it was just so early in that like 32 bit era. Mm-hmm. People were just trying to figure things out. So they just like took all of those tricks from the 16 bit era, put them into the 32 bit machine. And I think, yeah, people ended up kind of being like, that's that's not for me. That's not actually what I was looking for. Yeah, that's kind of and I hope I I hope I said that um well when I talked about the cars, because it's it's a stupid thing to do, right? Well and I and I totally agree that it's stupid for me to just like dismiss a game right out of hand because it's on the Sega, but that's that's just the way that I've always done it. And I don't know, it's interesting, but that's that's it. Well, I mean, the thing, the difference, though, is that, like, a a Ford truck and a Chevy truck are exactly the fucking same, right? It's the same fucking truck. It just has a different, like, branding on it. There's nothing fundamentally, if you listen to that, I don't, I don't fucking care. Okay, if I just offended you, I don't care. But, no, but, but seriously, like, there's really nothing different between those two things. Whereas, like, the Genesis and the Super Nintendo, you know, like, as we talked about, like, this is a game where... These guys, I feel like the creators of this game wanted to make the ultimate, like, Mega Drive game. It's funny because when you think, the Mega Drive in Japan, believe it or not, was actually considered, like, a nerdy console. It was not considered, like, it didn't have this attitude. You know, it was it was, it was was the third-place console in the market. It was behind the, the Famicom and the PC Engine. The PC Engine was huge in Japan. And uh, and if I I I hope I'm getting this correct, but the uh, the Mega Drive was like a console for like weird nerds, right? I mean, kind of like how the Turbo Graphics might be in the United States. Whereas there's a really good book about this console wars. It's kind of like this fictionalized story of really it's it's a marketing battle between Nintendo of America and Sega of America, and how it it's had ramifications throughout gaming history, and I. 
And really what it was is that a group of guys with marketing backgrounds in at Sega of America said, okay, Nintendo is this monolith. It's this behemoth in home console video gaming. It controls like 90% of the market. How do we break into this? And it was like, we've got to, we have to position ourselves in a different part of this market. We have to go after a different segment of the market. Okay. So what Sega of America did is we're going to break off teenagers, teenage boys specifically. We're going to position the Nintendo NES as a console for children, you know, because Nintendo had all these restrictions, things you can't put on, on a, on a, on the NES, on the Super Nintendo, you know, you, let's take Castlevania and let's edit out all the crosses. We're not even going to release Devil World in the United States. That's just going to freak people out, you know, things like that. Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat. We can't put blood on a game on the Super Nintendo. Are you crazy? Well, Sega is like, yeah, we'll do it. You know, okay, sure, you have to enter a code, but yeah, we'll have blood on Mortal Kombat. Sure. Which is the whole selling point of that game is that it has blood in it because otherwise it fucking sucks. Sorry. But honestly, they, and it worked. It worked. It worked. They captured like an entirely different part of this market and they eventually got 50% of the home console gaming market in the United States. It worked for them. But what happened is that you have, even today, you have this uh, this idea that the Sega Genesis and the Mega Drive, that Sega, the Mega Drive outside of Japan is this console for like edgy teenagers. Like that is its image. But this game is like the the apotheosis. It is the like a it is that idea in a concentrated form. Okay. It is this game is so much about the attitude. It is just oozing attitude. And I got to tell you, it gets really old for me. Like, it, it, I think it just leans way too hard into it. In the beginning, in the first part of this game, it's kind of funny. I thought it was like, it was like a self-parody kind of thing because it was so over the top into it. I thought it was actually really funny. I was having a good time with it. The problem is, that is the game. Like, it's just shot through with this stuff. And by the end of it, it's like, you've just spent hours hanging out with a really edgy teenager and that's not fun. Like, I don't want to hang out with a fucking edgy ass teenager like that. You know, I mean, I didn't want to do it when I was a teenager. Right. <laughs> Cause what, I mean, what does that say about me? I, I was, as I was a teenager in the nineties, uh, you know, I'm a couple years older than you. And, you know, I got that, that, that the Sega Genesis was for, for teens. And, but I just, I, I just neglected it. And, and fully embraced Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I don't, and you know, I bought the Nintendo 64 the year I graduated from high school, which was 96, which is when it came out. And it's just, I don't know. I just turned my back on everything Sega and Mega Drive. It's very, very interesting. And I don't know if it was somewhere in my subconscious, I recognized that it was the edgy teen thing that I just wasn't into. Yeah, I don't know. That this could be a discussion for a whole other episode of a podcast, but it's very, very interesting. Yeah, it could be its own podcast. Yeah. Connor, do you have anything on that? I'm trying to stay positive. Trying <laughs> to stay positive. Okay. <laughs> so I you know, I think it, the ways that this manifests, I mean, like, for example, passwords. So it tells you in the manual that if you use passwords on this game, you can't finish the game. You cannot finish the game. And I tried it and I use passwords on the game because, you know, I don't have a lot of fucking time to sit down and play video games. 
I use passwords and the for the last screen, it just it just says you are weak. <laughs> you use passwords, you are weak. What the fuck? What the fuck is that? That's some edgy teenage bullshit right there, is what that is. <laughs> you are weak. That's what you know, like what the fuck is that? <laughs> so I mean, like, here's my thing. Is that like I, I see all the time I see this argument a lot in modern video game reviews they talk about respecting the player's time right. and what that's usually referring to is you know they're talking about like games where you have like some collect-a-thon where you run around and you're picking up stuff and you know whatever or or putting a long way between save states or you know checkpoints or whatever sure sure but and a lot of times i feel like that is maybe overplayed people people bring that up a little bit too much i think that's a game that absolutely respecting the player's time it does not respect your time it does not respect you at all it, this, this game thinks you are a fucking scrub and you better get good right. and fuck you if you're not yet. That's the attitude that I get from this game. Just the whole thing about the passwords. Like, I understand if you if you want to play through the game and, you know, you tell me like, well, if you play it on easy mode, you can't get the ending. Okay, I see games do that a lot. I don't like it, but I see them do that a lot. But the thing with the passwords, I have never seen this before. We're all old, man. Anybody playing a Mega Drive game now is fucking old, okay? Like, I have three kids. I have a fucking job. I don't have time to sit down and play this game in one giant fucking burst. Like, it's it's hard for me to get three hours to play it for the fucking live stream, you know? Well, maybe this game's just not for you. <laughs> it's not for you. Well, oh, listen, I, I just... Yeah. I. If this game had a face, it would be smug and punchable. I'm telling you what. Ah, just, yes. <laughs> that's a, I, I, would, I would punch this game right in its fucking face. This game is just a dick. It's just an asshole, man. I'm telling you what. It is not. I think you would sum up just the last 15 minutes of what you said with just that. <laughs> oh, my God. The game has a punchable face. Like, yes. Because it's, it's, it's not even possible to disagree with that. Like, if if it's not designed to have a punchable face, the devs didn't really knew what they were doing. Like, I'm sorry, but it's a very punchable <laughs> game. I think yeah. it was. I think it was designed to have yeah. a punchable face. Like, to Mike, to, to try and give a contrast, again, we're, we're talking about Xenocrisis a lot just because we've done that game as well. But, like, Xenocrisis is just a tiny bit more forgiving on that. Not because it's an easier game, but because... Okay, well, if you use the specific power up that gives you certain continues, then yeah, you can. You're you're not going to get a good ending, but like you can use passwords and still get well, a good ending. Yeah, I mean, sure. I didn't right? find out about that until I listened to our, our podcast, and I, I heard you talking about the cheat codes. Okay, fair, <laughs> but like it, it's it's like it, the cheat codes. It's the cheat, but it's yeah. like it, it, there's still ways to let the player see what effort you've put into the game. For me, I want to appreciate the game. I want to see everything that this developer has done. I want to appreciate all of the effort they've put in. Yeah, exactly. Right. If they don't let me do that, that's not on me. Like, if they don't let me appreciate the work they've done, then that's them deciding to not show me whatever work they've done. This game does feel a little bit on the, I'm not showing you my work kind of, I'm not, I don't want to show you how hard I've worked mm, maybe. kind of side. Because it's it's just really difficult to see all the things that are worth appreciating in the game versus 
how hard it is to see that. Like, you know, it, it's... It, it's not it, they don't make it easy to appreciate well we've talked about save states before and you guys know that i i don't approve of using them on on games for this for the game club you know this is a game where i absolutely 100 percent endorse it because if it's going to do this thing with with the password i mean if the game is like that's just i just think it's kind of a dick move honestly i mean fine i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna use save states i don't care you know, it's like it's almost like it's encouraging you to do it, you know, because I, I just want to see the game. I just want to see what the game has to offer. You're right. And I'm going to tell you, like, even even when you play straight through and you don't use your passwords, OK, you have to beat the game in an hour and 30 minutes to get the full ending. Right. This is not in the manual. I didn't know this until I was texting you guys the first the first playthrough that I did. And. When I finished it with passwords and I got that that final ending screen, it's like you're weak. <laughs> I and I told you guys, I don't think I'm gonna play through this game for a long time. Right. This, this I'm not coming back to this for a while. And I was just stomping around my basement and I was so pissed off. And you know what I did? I picked up the controller and I played through it again immediately after I told you guys I'm not gonna play through this game again for a while. I played through the entire game again out of spite. Out of spite. <laughs> And when I finished it, I finished it. I found out about this timer because I finished the game in an hour and 30 minutes and eight seconds. And it said, you were too slow. Okay. An hour and 30 minutes and eight seconds was not fast enough. Play it again, eight seconds faster. Thankfully, I save states were actually not working on my everdrive i don't know what the problem was but the save states were not working so i actually played through the game i was not using save states i did put one down for insurance at the beginning of that final boss fight and thankfully it worked for once and i jumped back in and i started over and i i did the final boss fight and i shaved off enough a couple of minutes enough to get the full ending but if i had not done that like there's no goddamn way that i would be talking about this game in any positive light at all. I was just so mad at it. I you mean, know, <laughs> I'm looking at this picture you sent that says you used a password, you're weak, game over, and it's got the grave of the princess there. If you look yes. in the background, <laughs> it looks like they're, the buildings are flipping you off. That is what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I would not be surprised if that's Oh, my God. Okay. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I mean, generally my take is that the game is is hard, but not necessarily in a fun way. It that's why I I said it reminds me a lot of Xeno Crisis. You know, I, if you remember when we played Xeno Crisis, I I really did get to a point where I was not enjoying myself and I had to stop. I did feel like with this game, it it does feel like a slog, especially so stages like the middle of the game, like stages three and four, are really good. Because it's, I, I felt like the first couple of stages, especially the first stage, was really, it's really kind of like Spartan. It's kind of bare bones. I felt like it went on way too long. I, I thought it was too easy to me, personally. And I felt like it was kind of designed to teach you the controls, which you absolutely need to learn. But I felt like it was just, it, it, it was just overkill. Like, I, I, I didn't, I felt like it, it just went on way too long. The last couple of stages are so in your face, and they're so tough. Uh, I, I, I didn't enjoy them as much, but stages three and four, you've got all your mechanics down. They're just difficult enough. And I, I really enjoyed them. They're a lot of fun, but yeah, by the end of the game, it, it really does feel like a slog. The final boss fight takes forever. 
it takes forever. And I'm not necessarily saying it's designed poorly. I'm just saying it, it just takes so long. That final boss fight did take so long that I left the live stream. You left. And you actually I, just left. I did, but I also listened to it on Twitch on the way home, and I made it halfway home by the time you you beat it. And that's like a 25-minute drive. My I, is halfway home. I live like 50 yeah, minutes. Yeah, you live an hour home. away from me, right? Yeah. <laughs> So it was like long enough to where I was like, I, I don't know if you're going to beat it anytime soon. I'm going to leave. And then it was another 25 minutes from there. It was nuts. And that was the third time I beat that fucking boss. Mm-hmm. It still took me that long. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know, man. It just felt like a real slog at the end. Uh, the pacing of the game. I felt, I feel like the pacing of the game was not great. It's really long in between those, those passwords. And there's a, there's a boss on stage five. That's like the shoot 'em up part where the the boss is made of like a bunch of it's like eight discs and it comes out you you have to blow off every single disc and every single disc has its own like phase. God, that fight takes forever. It's like a five minute boss fight. Oh my god, it's not even difficult. It's not difficult. It's just long. Uh, another weird one. You get to a, a a part where you're the underwater. You know where you're like bouncing around and, and there's like spikes everywhere on the ceiling and the floor. It's like the um, the dam stage in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, okay? Where you're swimming underwater. It just it's right at stage five, and by that point, you just want to get to the end of the game. You've been playing the game for so long, and it's been such a grind. And then you hit this 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 friggin' underwater thing, and it, it just oh my god! It just it feels like it's at the wrong part of the game. Uh, that w- that's my take on it. It just felt like I hit a wall when I was playing. I just, I dread stage five. I, d- I just feel like I, ugh, I don't know. Yeah. So I, here's my question about this game. Did this game just in, in its effort to go balls to the wall and just put so much into it, did it go too far? Did it put too much into the game? Is that the game's problem? I think so. I, f- I was, that's is again, back to what I was saying to Connor before we started uh, recording is that it f- it's that classic, like, what was it? Jack of all trades, master of none. It's like it tried to put every style of game in here and it did them all well. But, like, I don't know. It just, it's just, too, I think it was a little too much. But that's, yeah. that's just, I, I think there's, there's a lot that you can, when you've got so many different styles, it's very easy to nitpick specific things about one style. Yeah. So, as an example, the hitboxes are just off on some of the schmutz stuff. Oh yeah, I had a real problem with the hitbox, especially the the shoot 'em up. Is right. that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. So it's just like like on a shmup game, if you're playing a shmup game, hitboxes matter. Yes. For fighting games and for shmups, arguably beat 'em ups as well. But like definitely for fighting games and shmups, hitboxes really matter. And they went a particular angle with this, which is like they didn't do like bullet hell where there's like 500 bullets on the screen at once. Yeah. They just kind of made the bullets bigger or more like difficult to avoid. And when you're doing that, that's fine. But if you're going to make the hitboxes big, that's really going to be frustrating for people who don't love that particular genre. That's fair. Yeah. Very that's, fair. That's what it is. Like, it, it's like. It, like for me, the least favorite kind that I had in this game was actually the the bike, like jumping, shooting thing, like where you're like, you know, the the, the yeah road is falling apart on the left hand side of the screen. You're constantly driving to the right. You're jumping over roadblocks and things like exactly. that. Exactly, I hated that. 
hated it. Did you? Oh, huh. couldn't stand it. It just reminded me of all of the worst, like, you have no idea how to predict what's going to happen. You simply must memorize the That's entire fair, level. Because you can't see far enough. Your sprite is huge, and you can't see far enough ahead. Yeah, Your sprite is huge. That's, that's another Mega Drive thing where like, they're taking it to the nth degree. It's like the super detailed, super heavy graphics. Yeah. Like, it's, it, like, I get it. I get what they're going for. But in terms of like bringing together all that you're saying about respecting the player's time, about like trying to be a jack of all trades, about what it is that they they leave you with a memory of, I think that's that's something I don't think developers really understand as much when they're in the middle of making a game. Like the amount of time you spend playing the game is dwarfed by the amount of time you spend talking about that game afterwards to your friends. <laughs> and when you are talking about a game, like, I mean, think about the games we played when we were kids and we're still talking about, right? That's kind of my point. Like, I will know The Cursed Knight for the next 30, 40 years. I will have that in my back pocket as some experience that I had. And when someone asks me, oh, wow, there was this game. And do you think I should play it? I'll say yes. But I'll give a lot of serious caveats <laughs> and like that's that's not kind of how the developer expected me to talk about it because the, the developer expected me to think that a challenge was worth being like rising to the occasion of when when a developer presents a challenge they expect that the right gamer will rise to the occasion of it but in a world where there is so much choice and you know part to your point about like you know, after that 16-bit era and, and, you know, there was kind of this explosion of games and whatever, if you had a hard game, you just played through it. Like, that was the thing you did because you had to because it was the only game you were going to have for the next six months. I'm, I'm going to stop playing this game. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm just telling you, like, if I don't really feel an affinity for this game, you're not really motivating me. And, I, and the last point I'll make is just that, like, we actually had this problem when I was working with mobile game developers really early on in like flash games, mobile games, when like the, that, that first kind of came around because you had a lot of people who were in the exact same vein. Like they really appreciated retro games. They wanted to make games that were in this like 2d style. They're like, Oh yeah. What if I like charge people extra for like a higher difficulty level? And we had to really politely explain to them. Like people don't want to pay extra to have their time taken up with something they've already done. <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. Some people might. Some people, but, might. but that's the thing that that audience is small, quite niche, yes. like pretty, pretty tight. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm being honest. Like, we're three guys on a podcast that reviews retro slash homebrew games. You know, we're not into that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a developer out there and you think I want to make a game that's like really tough like tougher than any other game that anybody's ever played I'm just telling you right now this podcast is probably not going to be your biggest fan <laughs> well I want to push back on that a little bit I, I don't mind that a game is hard and that it's made in a retro style where you have to play it over and over again to get good at it I don't mind that I really don't I think there are a lot of homebrew games that that follow that. I'm uh, I'm beta testing one right now that that is uh, very kind of follows that design philosophy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you've got to encourage me to keep going with it. 
That's my thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think with this game, this game watches you fall on your face and laughs at you. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Like, that's the thing. If you're, if you're going to give me a really hard game, and then you're going to laugh at me when I, when I can't do as well as I, I should, I'm not going to enjoy that experience. And maybe that's the difference between me and, like, some other people who are, like, really into Mega Drive games, you know, because I was a Nintendo guy myself. But I, it's, it's not really my thing. You know, it's like I need a little bit of encouragement. I can play a really hard game. I've played a lot of really hard retro games. I played a lot of homebrew games that are retro styled and they're really hard, but they have like a built in kind of motivation to keep going with it. Whereas with this, I feel like it's catering to a very specific type of person, maybe the type of person who still thinks that Nintendo is makes baby consoles for children. Okay. Who is so steeped in that that Mega Drive attitude? It's so ingrained in you that this is that this is the edgy teenager console. That you know this is your type of game. I didn't enjoy it. You know that's the thing. I beat this game three times, and I feel like I'm done with it. And I I don't know. I mean I didn't. I don't have positive vibes about this game. You know I don't have positive feelings about this game. When I when I when I stepped away and I'm looking at my notes. And I'm I'm actually having to go through and watch the live stream and remember all the parts that I had fun with the platforming, because that's not what I remember about the game. What I remember about the game is that it's kind of an asshole. That's what I remember. Is it it is it is a game that is so full of attitude that I didn't I didn't have fun with it. Yeah, I'm I've I've got the uh, the live stream playing in the background while we're while we're chatting, and I'm I'm literally watching you play the the last boss and the hitboxes are insane. It's like, well, I do. Yeah. The bullet goes through and and it it hits. And then the next time it goes through the exact same spot and it doesn't, I don't understand. Yeah. I I did have a couple notes on that. Like my, the hitbox on the, the shmup stages is, is it's large and it's kind of undefined. Like that is a thing that I see about shoot 'em ups that like very retro shoot 'em ups. You know, you have a very large hitbox you know, you're thinking about you're a knight and you have these little dangly feet. And just for the hell of it, I, I did a playthrough where I was just constantly like trying to test where the hitbox was. And yeah, like if it brushes up against your toes, that's going to be a hit. You know, whereas I, I think on a modern shoot 'em up, you wouldn't see something like that. On a modern shoot 'em up, you would see a very clearly defined where your hitbox is, or at the very least, like it would make sense where it is, you know, like just looking at the graphics. Whereas here, doesn't make sense that you should take a hit if it brushes up against your toes. I don't really think that makes sense, but let's take a break. Let's take a break. We're going to listen to some music and we're going to come back with our final thoughts on the cursed night.
We are back. Yeah. We are back to talk about The Cursed Knight. From the Discord, E.C. Myers had a lot of commentary about this game. <laughs> uh, he was very frustrated with it. He had a tough time with the three-button control scheme. He accidentally flipped off the top of the screen during boss fights. You know, I did that a few times myself. Fair. And I think is... that's that's definitely something I did, too. I think the save state thing made it less of a deal. Um, that's but, fair. But it's, it, I think just the only thing I'll put on that is it's somewhat unique for a game to introduce a mechanic that is super powerful, that they're expecting you to use very regularly, and that they then, on specific levels, at specific points, <laughs> penalize you for. Good point. Again, don't want to drill into that, but just a, just a FYI for the developers. Well, you're there. fighting these bosses, and I do like most of the boss fights. I don't know if I've said that already, but I, I think most of the boss fights are very good. Very large bosses that fill up the screen. Right. Okay, You're jumping around, and you're shooting them, and you got your platforming on. You know, you're, you're like, you're, you're platforming, you got it really down, right? You're like shooting them in the face and all that crap. And then you accidentally hit the button and you fly up to the top of the screen and off the screen. And then it makes a little noise that it makes when you die. And the next thing you know, you're like back at the beginning of the fight. And it, it's like shit. Seriously. E.C. <laughs> Myers, game has the great fun ideas with some interesting and challenging mechanics, but they always overstay their welcome. It goes from fun to frustrating, so my reaction isn't triumph over completing a section, but relief. Thank goodness I don't have to do that anymore. Great call it. Great call it. Yep. <laughs> that's that is, the shortened uh, version of this podcast that we just That's recorded. pretty much the podcast. In a if you want right to there. not listen to this podcast and just get a shortened version of everything we've said, join our Discord, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and just read E.C. Meyer's comments. Uh, he was really disappointed by the endings. I doubt I'll be playing this game again anytime soon. AV Tiger 27. The game is surprising, both in great and terrible ways. <laughs> that's such a great comment. It is surprising, both in great and terrible ways. This game will have a great idea and then ruin it with levels that go on too long or have cheap deaths. <laughs> that's that's a, a great idea and then ruin it. Love it. <laughs> the music did not start off great, but he he thought it got much better. I, I really, I have nothing bad to say about the music. Me either. I thought the music was really good. Yeah, no, the music's great. Uh, do we have any, what are, what are our, our final thoughts about this game? Does anybody want to go first? I really enjoyed the fact that it's a balls to the wall, end of an era, the best Mega Drive game you can get that combines all of these game mechanics in one super mashup game with some great soundtracks, great graphics, and a lot of attention to detail where the developers felt like it was worthwhile. And everyone should take a look at it. I think it's a really interesting game to play. Bart, what do you think? I think I've pretty much said everything I need. I need to say it's 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 a Mega Drive Genesis game, so it's it's not for me. Um, <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. We got to play more of those on this podcast. Oh Lord, they're not all like this. Okay, they're not all like this. I promise. I thought the game. Okay, let me put it this way. I think this game is extremely well made. Okay, I think top to bottom, this is a very well made homebrew game. This is one of those things where it's like, well, is it homebrew, you know, or is it like an indie game or what What do you want to call it? Very professionally made, very solid game. I had a lot of fun playing parts of it. I did not appreciate the attitude that the game has. I think it leans into that 
that Genesis Mega Drive edgy teenager attitude a little too much for my tastes. But at the end of the day, I do think the game has a lot of positive things going for it. And I think if you're interested in Mega Drive Homebrew, this is definitely a game that you need to play. It's up there with Xeno Crisis is a game that you need to play this. And yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'm going to go back to it anytime soon, but I do think it's worth playing. It's worth checking out. And uh, if you're a fan of shoot-em-ups, 16-bit era shoot-em-ups and 16-bit era platforming, both of those genres, you should play this game because it, it does both of those things and it does them pretty well. And I think that alone is impressive that it can have both of those genres in a single game and do them well. Okay, where do you get this game? If you do want to play it, you can get a free demo from the Broke Studio website where you can also get the complete in-box version of the game for 45 euros, and that includes the ROM, which you can play on an emulator if you choose to do so. You can also get it on Steam, which the Steam version includes the ROM. You can get that for 10 bucks US. I don't know how much it is outside of the United States, approximately $10 US. So, Rogue Studio, The Cursed Knight. Woo! Woo! All right, guys. Now we get to talk about whatever the fuck we want to talk about. I'm going to talk about some news, okay? We're going to talk about news. Midwest Gaming Classic this year, 2023, in Milwaukee from March 31st to April 2nd. I'm really disappointed that I missed this. I went on this this family trip to Europe. Uh, we, we've been planning this for like months. We went to like Europe. We went to Greece and Turkey. And I got to hang out with Connor. Connor showed up. He flew out from London. He came all the way to Athens. And we had this epic day walking around Athens and drinking lots of Greek beer. 30,000 steps. 30,000 steps is the number. 30,000 steps. Yeah. Man, I cannot believe I put in that when we were in Athens just that week, because we had our kids with us and it was uh, 30 miles. I walked those kids 30 miles around Athens, just back and forth. And they did not complain once. I'm really impressed with them. But um, no, what happened is I, I was on this trip and I missed the Midwest Gaming Classic. It looks like the Midwest Gaming Classic really has become like the convention for NES homebrewers. Like, I could not believe when I would see photos of this, the number of people in the NES homebrew scene who were there. It was everybody from all the NES makers that that we follow. There was uh, Nathan Tolbert was there. Kevin Hanley was there. All kinds of folks. And I uh, am really sad that, that we didn't go. And I definitely want to go next year. We've got to go back to the Midwest Gaming Classic. One thing that happened at the Midwest Gaming Classic is they they presented the Nestmaker Bite-Off Awards. So if you remember on this podcast, we we covered, at least briefly, uh, almost every Bite-Off 3, uh, all of the entries for that. I believe it was like 30-something. How many were there? I can't even remember. But it was uh, th- this is a competition where the developers had six weeks to create a demo using Nestmaker. So I have the list of winners here. I'm going to go down the list. All right. Because this is a, we're doing our news section. This is news. All right. Uh, best pixel art. <laughs> Stop laughing at me. It's news. Uh, best, pe- <laughs> best pixel art goes to Space Hero. Best music and sound goes to Get It Together. That's the game where you get blown apart and your different body parts have to um, reunite themselves. The Audience Choice Award went to Le Menoir des Zombies. 
which is a uh, that's Dale Coop's son's game, and uh, Dale Coop and Jordan Davis also worked on that. The Wombat Award for quirky and weird games goes to Oratorio, which is John Vanderhoof's game uh, that Jordan Davis did the the audio for, and that is that's like a rhythm. It's a musical like rhythm shooter. I think it's interesting that they call that a, like a weird or quirky game. I'm really curious to see the full version of that. He is going to release that as a full NES game. That's my favorite John Vanderhoof game. I I was really impressed with that. I, I cannot wait to play the full game. Best package? I don't know what that means. Like best, uh, just like uh, overall presentation, do. maybe. Oh, oh, oh okay. Never mind. <laughs> um, that goes to Myth of Zela. Best narrative is Get It Together. New 8-Bit Hero, where they give an award to somebody in the community. Dale Coop has won this in the past. This year, it was Jordan Davis, friend of the podcast, Raftronaut, does our outro music. Uh, He is definitely an 8-Bit Hero to all of us. That's right. That's correct. It's great to see him recognized for his 8-Bit heroism. The best game overall, presented by friend of the podcast, Seth Abramson, (laughs) is Triptych. Which, if you remember, was one of my one of my favorite games from the uh, that I played, and that was Crazy Group Trio did that one. That was all of the uh, various genres. You know, that's another game I think that uh, that tries to do a lot of genres and does them all pretty well. And I think that really leans into the uh, what Nice Maker offers with this. My understanding is that it has these different different genres of games and you can like build out games based on kind of like template assets that it has. And it really took that idea and ran with it where it put all of them into a single game and they all kind of rely on each other. So you have to go back and forth between like an overhead RPG and a first person point and click adventure game. And then a, a couple of different types of platformers. And I was really impressed with it. And a crazy group trio is building that out into a full NES game. And I cannot wait to see what that looks like. I'm really excited about that other news flying arrows 2 kickstarter is live until may 30th flying arrows 2 please listen to our interview if you haven't yet and i say our i mean my interview you guys didn't join me for that you guys should join me for these interviews but yeah i i interviewed francesco bacchelli the developer of flying arrows 2 i had a lot of fun talking to him he is an italian game boy developer and he is launching this kickstarter not only to back this game, but also to save a retro gaming community in Bologna, Italy, which is a, a part of Italy that doesn't have a lot of, um, it doesn't have any kind of a retro video gaming scene outside of this this kind of like community center. Best of luck to him. With Better that. than that. I mean, he he's a great advocate for it. I mean, if he listens to the episode, he's really able to articulate what he is trying to get done. And I think it's fantastic that he's, you know, pushing for that, particular space to get more visibility you know congratulations to him well and if you go on our discord or if you uh, check out the bologna nerd website it's got videos of the space and i gotta tell you like it looks awesome i want to have a place like this in st louis other kickstarters of note super tilt bros for nes is finally live that is the wi-fi enabled nes cartridge the craziest thing, I saw that they're going to release like updates to this game, and the ROM on the NES is going to update over Wi-Fi. So it's going to have patches. It's going to have patches applied to the game on your NES cartridge over Wi-Fi. That's insane. That is insane. 
Harlequest for Dreamcast that ended on April 30th. Harlequest is a that developer is actually in our Discord. That is a uh, roguelike top down for Dreamcast that looks really good, interesting. The physical of that is going to be handled by Wave Game Studios. So I can say if you if you like physical Mega Drive homebrew and you're not familiar with Wave, I'm surprised, but you should get on that because they make excellent indie Dreamcast releases from Wave Game Studios. That is in the UK. And one last thing I wanted to mention on the news section. In February, the YouTuber uh, ST1KA, I guess that's Sitka, I don't, I think, is how you pronounce that. But he released a review and ranking video. So he ranked 30 different Mega Drive homebrew games. 30. And I thought it was really good. And he has very honest reviews. Like, he'll come out and say if he doesn't like the game. I always appreciate when people do that with homebrew. I feel like that's a, a mark of respect. You're taking these developers seriously. If you say that this is what I had problems with, or this is what I liked, what I didn't like. 30 different Mega Drive games. I thought it was very informative. A lot that I had not heard of, and they're on my list now, and maybe that we will talk about on a future podcast episode. But that is uh, worth checking out, especially if you're if you're a Mega Drive fan, you're listening to this episode in particular, you may fall into that camp. Woo. Do we want to do these questions from Discord, or do you just want to talk about some bullshit? Do it. What's a question I... from Discord? <laughs> yeah. Rafter not asks, "What is your favorite food item in a video game?" I can tell you. I can tell you my favorite food item for sure. It's a pretzel from Pac Man. I as a <laughs> as a kid or Miss I guess it's Miss Pac Man. As a kid. I just put quarter after quarter into Miss Pac-Man trying to get to the pretzel level because I sucked at Pac-Man. This is, you know, like four-year-old me when Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man was brand new. So, I, you know, when I finally made it to the pretzel level, I could imagine just how good that pretzel tasted. Also, I thought it was weird because every other level is some sort of fruit. And then all of a sudden there's a pretzel. Like, what the fuck? So that's mine. It's a pretzel. That's my favorite food item in the game. That's a great, great answer. Connor, what's yours? I was thinking about this, and the one that keeps popping into my mind is in the Secret of Monkey Island, where you take like a like a leg of beef and you cover it in these like herbs and you feed it to the dogs, and it like makes them fall asleep. That's like my favorite food item because you're drugging these animals. And the moment you do that, there's this disclaimer that comes up on the screen that says. No dogs were harmed in the making of this video game. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, that like drugging of dogs with a food item is probably my favorite food item in any particular video game. I mean, there's like a million food item in video game tropes of cherries and, you know, fruit and whatever. Right. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking. The meat in Legend of Zelda that you only use once, really? Oh, yeah. Meat, well, you have to use it in one. Let's say, like, yeah. meat is such so fruits are like ironically as, as perishable as fruits are, they're very frequently uh, observed in video games. But meat mm-hmm. is usually a very single use kind of thing. <laughs> Protein is obviously very difficult to make. Uh, <laughs> well, they, I mean, the one I always think of wall meat, wall meat in, in Castlevania. You know, where they just, we, yeah, protein. You just hide it in the wall. So you just, like, have your, your masonry. It's just full of meat. Yeah, there's a whole roasted turkey behind that brick. <laughs> like, what? I like uh, I like a thing that Streets of Rage 4 does a thing where you, 
you know, it has these, it drops these food items, but you can, you can change them around. It <laughs> oh, yes, like, I love that. They, they, you know, the, the standard is like, it doesn't drop a turkey and like an apple or something, but you can change them like a, a bowl of ramen or. or yeah, you can know, have like croissant instead of uh, an apple right, yeah. or something. <laughs> I'm just, I love the idea that like in all these beat em ups, especially like they drop this turkey or something. Right. It's like, I just love the idea. You're just walking around an alley beating up people and somebody drops an entire roast turkey out of their pocket and you just pick it up off the ground and eat it and you get all your health back. Well, even better than that, I just that I think it needs it's, to be. It's coming game. to the inevitable conclusion of like people are choosing like a vegan Streets of Rage. <laughs> where, <laughs> where it's like it's a well, it's a tofurkey. Okay, yeah, it's exactly. a tofurkey. It's not like a real turkey. It's a tofurkey. <laughs> I'm going to tell you my favorite food item in a video game is probably River City Ransom. All of them. So River City Ransom is a game. It's a beat 'em up game and also a shopping game. Such a good game. so. I had a a thing. I did not remember this until decades later. I was like, how did I know to buy all of these different items in that game? And what it was is Nintendo Power had a pullout on one of their maps. You know, they always had this like, it was like a like a photo scene or something of a video game. It was like an actual poster. But on the backside, they always had tips on different video games. And one of them was River City Ransom. And it had all these different food items. And every food item in River City Ransom gives you like a stats boost. It's a permanent stats upgrade. I played through that game with my dad. And that was one of my favorite video gaming like memories, was playing through River City Ransom with my dad. And we had that pullout. And we would just go through that game and just go through town to town, like shopping mall to shopping mall, and we'd just buy different food items. And it was just very funny to me, because some of them are, are completely ridiculous. You know, like you, you'll buy a beer. And it, uh, they'll put like a mug of beer on the counter and you'll just like eat it. You know, your little <laughs> face will look chomp down on it like the entire class. Uh, just stuff like that. You know, and then your your strength will go up by like three status points or something, whatever it is. But yeah, that, that's probably my favorite favorite food memory from a video game would be uh, River City Ransom. All all the different stuff in there. And I, they've tried to do the, emulate that kind of in uh, River City Girls. Right. Another game where you kind of do that, but you don't have the hilarious animations of like actually eating the food. So I'm looking at this game on YouTube and realizing I don't know that I ever played this game. You, you haven't played River City Ransom? Oh my God. That's the next game we're playing together. A lot of people did not know about it until like the emulation era really? because it, it just right. went kind of under the radar. It was a Kunio Kun game and we didn't get that many of those outside of Japan. But I actually, uh, it was a it was a rental store game. Ah, yeah. You know, people didn't rent it because it was like, what the hell is this? River City Ransom. And so we ended up with it at my uh, house, and my dad and I played through the entire game. We beat it together. It seems like one of those that I, I would have looked at and been like, I'd rather play Double Dragon. He was he was into it because it was it's an it's an inherently ridiculous game because yeah. you you know like I'm saying like you know if you order like a sandwich you will eat it and you you just push it inside of your giant cartoon face and your big cartoon face is you know yeah and, uh, like pac-man yeah it's it's just fun it's a, it's a you know but you have to budget your money and it looks it's fun. a shopping game right yeah, yeah it's fun it's a lot of fun it's a hidden gem as it were on the nes hidden it's a gem. hidden gem that everybody knows about now so. all right all right no for hidden gems we're wrapping up Okay, folks, our next game will be 
The Machine for the Machine game, for Game Boy Color. This game by by Ben Jelter. I've been talking about this game a lot. So this is a sci-fi dystopian walkie-talkie. <laughs> so you walk around and you talk to folks, right? Uh, that that is a uh, game genre. We have copyrighted that. Uh, so if you want to use that walkie-talkie, you have to credit the Humber Game Club and give us money. <laughs> is that how that works? No, you have to know. buy us a beer. You have to buy us a beer. That's the only. That's oh, you have to buy us beer. Okay, yeah. So every time somebody uses Metroidvania, you have to buy Jeremy Parrish a beer, just like that. Uh, walkie-talkie influenced by Metropolis and some other kind of any kind of like dystopian sci-fi where everybody is in like one contained kind of uh, environment, right? It has a non-linear plot. We always talk about choose your own adventure, okay? Like the decision tree for this game, I would want to blow it up and see it on a wall. You know, I really think it would it would be the size of a fucking wall. I just, I want to see it. Like it is, it is such a, a fascinating game uh, to play. Even, I, I spent probably about five or six hours on it. And it was the most affecting experience that I've had on a Game Boy. Like I was moved by a fucking Game Boy game. How does that even happen? Each run through the game to get an ending takes about one to two hours, okay? <clears throat> we are considering three endings. If you play through the game three times, you get three endings, you get a credits roll. At that point, for the purposes of the Game Club podcast, you will have finished the game, okay? If you get three endings. You can get the digital or the physical version of this game at the Incubate Games website. That's I-N-C-U-B-8, the number eight. I think the, the digital version is like maybe 12 bucks, something like that. And then you can get a physical cartridge if you want to do so. <laughs> Are we done? Do we have anything else to say? This has been the Homebrew Game Club Podcast. You can find links to our Discord, back episodes of the show, or other social media at homebrewgameclub.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HBGameClub. If you like the show, please help us out by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or by telling all of your retro gaming friends about our podcast. If you have comments or a suggestion on a game that you would like to hear us talk about, shoot us a message on social media, or jump on our Discord and tell us about it, or you can email us if you choose to do so at homebrewgameclub at gmail.com. Our opening music is by Twee. You can find him on Twitter at TUI2A03, where you can also find a link to his SoundCloud. Our outro music is by Raftronaut, the 8-bit hero of the year, and you can find him on Twitter at 0000Jordan. You can follow me, Nick, on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, or Video Game Sage at dvertov. That's D-V-E-R-T-O-V. Bart is on Instagram as clever username needed. No spaces. And Connor is on Twitter and Mastodon at C-O-N-O-R-N-A-S-H. Also, no spaces. Whew. Tune in next time to the Homebrew Game Club. We will be talking about the machine. Thanks for listening.